From Uninterrupted, this is 17 Weeks, the show that gives you the real-time perspective of NFL stars living through the weekly grind of a season. I'm your host, Nate Burleson, and this is Week 16. We are joined by my three division-winning co-hosts, tight end Eric Ebron of the AFC North champion, Pittsburgh Steelers. We got three division championships on one podcast. You guys couldn't have picked a better like lineup. Wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders of the NFC South champion, New Orleans Saints. Uh, I think the icing on, on the cake was just him hitting the greeting for the whole team and throwing up the side and then, and then going boom, like I just killed that shit looking at me. I'm like, bro, he funny. And strong safety Jamal Adams of the NFC West champion, Seattle Seahawks. I came to the sideline and I told him, I said, man, just give us three points. He looked at me and smiled. He said, man, I'm gonna give you seven. Before we get to this week's episode, Quick timeout. 17 Weeks is brought to you by Uninterrupted and SiriusXM. New episodes drop every Thursday. You can listen to them on demand on SiriusXM or for free on the Pandora app. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at 17 Weeks Pod for more content from the guys. Wherever you listen to it, though, be sure to subscribe, rate five stars, and share the show too while you're at it. All right, let's get to this week's episode. It's time for the breakdown. As the calendar year comes to a close, there's just one more week left in the regular season, and only seven teams have clinched playoff spots. Four in the NFC and three in the AFC. As wild as it sounds, 11 teams are still alive and vying for seven open postseason spots. Friday, Emmanuel and the Saints got Week 16 off to a blazing start with a huge Christmas Day 52-33 win over the Vikings in the Superdome. More on that in a few. Jamal and the Seahawks took care of business up in Seattle, defeating the Rams 20-9 and wrapping up their first NFC West title since 2016. More on Jamal's win coming up. But first, Eric and the Steelers won the AFC North by overcoming a 21-7 halftime deficit to beat the Colts 28-24. Big Ben threw three second-half touchdowns, including one to our favorite tight end, Eric, as the Steelers rallied past Indianapolis for a 28-24 win that ended their three-game losing streak and earned them their first division title in three years. Hey, Eric, how about that comeback? That comeback was insane. 7 to 24 going into half. Could you imagine the things that was going through my mind? I'm like, these people probably blowing me up on Twitter. These people are probably, my teammates over there like got his ass. Like, (laughs) I'm over here like, dang, like, I cannot believe I'm losing seven to twenty-four to my former team. Like, no way. It was just like no way. I, I, I in my mind, I was like, ooh, I thought we was at least gonna put up a fight. Like, we just laying down. Man, we went into halftime. Pouncey was upset. Ben wanted to get a few words out. Ultimately, I was just in the corner, upset that we were losing to the Indianapolis Colts. And halftime, everything just changed, man. We just flipped this switch. Offense started getting it going. We went we went a little tempo on them. We started exploiting their zone coverages and took over the game ultimately. So it was dope, man. We was happy, happy to get that victory. Very happy in that that team, that victory, that that stature of a game, knowing it was a playoff opponent. And then to come back from what was one of the biggest deficits and like Mike Tomlin or Steelers history, I think, something like that. So it was dope. How'd you guys turn it around? I just think that everybody found that confidence. People started making plays. People started making the tough catches. People started doubting themselves. And 
people started playing with a little bit more energy, a little bit more pizzazz. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's what I felt like we got, man. We just started. We still just just started hooping, man. Once you find your swagger, is it's hard to lose it. If you lose it, it's hard to get it back. So I feel like we 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 kind of figured out what our swagger was that game. Chance to tighten this thing again. Ebron twists and is in. After your TD catch, you gestured to your ex-coach teammates. Any significance? Oh yeah, man. Just wave to the sideline, man. You know, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people that don't understand the intricacies of the things that, you know, uh, things that happened when I was there. So, you know, it was just it was just my due diligence to say what's up. You know, at the end of the day, they fired me. Nah, they didn't fire me. My contract ran out, but <laughs> but it, it felt like they fired me. So uh, I just had to make sure they 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 remembered who I was, and you know we might play them again, and ultimately that'd be dope. That'd be a dope, very competitive game, and I look forward to it. You made it into several locker room post game celebration videos. Yeah, I think I, I think I was on a few of them. Uh, I really wanted to do the one with Juju, man, the, the Corvette joint because. Um, I was I was pissed off for how people was you know treating treating my guy man and you know for someone that is you know gracious enough to be on social media and let you into his life as much as he does you know uh, with that comes a lot of backlash and he took a lot of it and he dealt with it and he came out and played his butt off so um, I wanted to I wanted to do that video for him to you know let people know that you know we ride for Juju Juju is Juju and. Well, you know, we never want him to change because that's a good spirit. And at the end of the day, you need more people like him in this world. So, yeah, we ride for Juju, man. Social media has been on fire with the criticisms of Juju dancing on other teams' logos. How do you see it? It, it was never it was never to be taken for disrespect, you know, and for for people to use that as energy and say, yeah, man, he's there on our logo. Yeah, you, you got to do that when, you know, your team's losing and you got to find morale and things to to figure out how to get wins for your for your you know your team. So you 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 trigger points on oh he's gonna come on our field and dance on our our logo. It's like bro he's not doing it out of disrespect. Like dude, maybe he's just enjoying the process that he gets to dance in the middle of an NFL football field. Like how many of you guys wish you could do such a thing, you know? Y'all can't even get to the damn front row seat. Never mind get to the damn you know middle of the 50. So it's just it's just crazy man. It's just crazy how people would would narrate such things. Kamara in a tailback. He's got five rushing touchdowns. And now six. Time for the most all-time. New Orleans running back Alvin Kamara scored six times on the ground, tying the NFL's all-time single-game rushing touchdown record set in 1929. Emmanuel, what was it like to be a witness to history? AK went crazy. I remember we were on the sideline at one point, and I, I, I said, man, how many touchdowns you have? And he said, five, and I didn't even realize that he had five touchdowns. And he said, I need one more to break the record. And so we're standing on the sideline, and I'm like, does, does SP know that? Does Sean Payton know that? He was like, yeah, I think he does. And so I'm like, if not, I'm about to go tell him, like, right now. And that's when I think Taysom had scored. And I was like, what the hell? Like, SP couldn't have known, you know what I mean? And uh, we were just talking about it. And Alvin, he was still in the mood of like, it is what it is, right? Like, I don't really care. 
And then they thought we were gonna run the ball. We did play action, and I was like, oh, he about, he about to tie it. He's about to tie it. And so you love to see it, right? To be a part of those special moments. Like, those don't happen often. But in the back of my head, I'm still looking at SP like, hey, man, he should have broke that record, man. <laughs> he should have broke the record. Despite pulling in four catches for 83 yards, Emmanuel is focused on the one that got away. A catchable pass that got in his hands before it was intercepted. Yeah, it's coming. Um, you know, I follow Stefan Diggs on Instagram. And Stefan Diggs, he had like 150 yards versus Denver. And I remember it was like one play that he wished he had back. And it's like you have a good game and it's always that one play that just nags you and keeps you up at night. And so, like, everybody's been telling me, yeah, I had a good game. I'm like, no, nah, I didn't because... That drop pick just just keeps running through my head over and over and over. And I keep telling myself, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, that's not even you. And so, like, in my in my in my eyes, I didn't have a good game because I know like my expectations. But, you know, um, you know, I take it though. I take the I take the yards, I take the catches, but more importantly, I take the win. And uh, you know, it's crazy because a lot of people, you know, through those adverse situations, like like, I don't know, I was just sitting on the sideline and I and I felt like I had groove just as a football player and just as a human being because a lot of people were walking up to me, like, trying to give me sympathy. I'm like, listen, like, I'm good, baby. Like, I'm good. Like, And, like, I didn't feel anything about it, you know, but still it's in the back of your head, but I didn't let that moment, like, like interfere with what our team goal was and the objective was and so. That's one. That's one. I'm proud of that. You know, the fact that I was able to bounce back and keep making plays and didn't even let it phase me at all. Emmanuel, you have made several deep playoff runs in your career. Does success ever get old? Hell no. It, it gets better and better. Like I wish I could go back to my rookie year and feel and know what I know now. Because my rookie year, we went all the way to the Super Bowl. I had no cameras out. Right now, I'm like the old man. I'm like your parents. Like. You go to the prom, you want to take 50 pictures. They want to take 50 pictures of you just to keep in the memory box. And that's me. Like, after that game, like, most of the time, like, I, you see me talking, but really, like, I'm not that talkative. You know what I mean? Like, when I get around people. And most of the time, like, I'm one of the first people out of the locker room. And we won that. I was, I think I was the last person out of there because I got pictures with Drew. I got pictures with AK. I got pictures with with, with different guys. And I, I videoed and I recorded because... What I've known, uh, what I figured out is that, like, when we went to the Super Bowl in 2015, every now and then I'd be sitting on the couch and I'd just scroll back to those times. And I'd just relive them, right? i say, man, this was, this was a great day. And so when the great days happen, you got to take your phone out and remember those times. Uh, and that's what I find myself doing a lot more. Not only on the football field, even with my kids, because, you know, I see my wife and she got pictures and videos of my kids and there too and me I'm just living in the moment right and now I see my kid doing something I see my grandma doing something because you know I've had a mother pass away I see my grandma doing something I'm like let me record this because this is footage that you can't relive and, and, and you could always go back and reflect on it so I found myself doing that a lot more Saints coach Sean Payton broke out the dance moves actually performing the gritty during the team's post-game celebrations he was killing that. He was killing that shit. <laughs> hey, then he was throwing up the the, the hand signs and everything. <laughs> That's the reason why everybody call him Sean Payton. I call him SP because when it's time to lock in, he lock in. But when it's time to have fun, he have fun. And 
every morning, I, 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 I can't say this about too many coaches, but every morning I, I, I walk into work, he's right there to greet me at the door, and he's always going to talk shit to me about something, right? And I, I know I got to be on my toes just so I can have something going back to him. So that's the kind of relationship we got. And, uh, man, I love that dude, man. I love, you know, everything, uh, what he's about. And uh, I think the icing on, 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 on the cake was just him hitting the greeting in front of the whole team and throwing up the sign and then, and then going, boom, like I just killed that shit looking at me. I'm like, bro, he funny. You got to love it. But the thing is, is this too. Everybody's talking about him hitting the gritty, right? But he hitting that shit in a pair of 11s. <laughs> he hitting that shit in a pair of 11s. Do you hear me? <laughs> Come on, man. Name, name, name a Dover head coach in the league. Jamal, your victory over the Rams was another close one. Competitive to the end. Too bad fans, Seattle's fabled 12th man, the 12s, still aren't allowed to attend. Yeah, man, it was a, you know, wow, what a finish. What a, what a, what a game, you know what I mean? That's what you dream of, if playing in big-time games like that, right? You know, the only thing that was missing were, you know, the 12s. You know, I can only imagine how, how that would have been. But, um, you know, it was a fun game, man, hard fought. Um, you know, we, I, I know people, you know, we entertained a lot of people as far as keep, you know, keeping the game very close and, and, you know, us just going back and forth, you know, a lot of, a lot of people like, you know, a lot of points, right. And, you know, it was a defensive battle and then, you know, our offense came through, man, they did their thing like as always, man. So I got a lot of respect for, uh, how Russ, you know, commands his troops and how he moves about it. And, uh, man, he, he, I came to the sideline. It's funny. I came to the sideline. Uh, we were up. We just made a big stop, man. And I told – matter of fact, it might have been after um, the fourth down stop. But we, we, I came to the sideline and I told him, I said, man, just give us three points. He looked at me and smiled. He said, man, I'm going to give you seven. <laughs> so, you know, that's big time. You know, that's just goat talk. You know what I mean? He, he looked at me almost like, damn, okay. <laughs> I like his mindset, but I'm going to give him seven, you know. So – Respect to my guy three, man. He's always doing it big and always, you know, just just leading by example, man. And just the ultimate competitor, man. I, psh, that's my guy. That's my guy. Gets it. And short. Seattle's defense makes a play. Jamal, one of the biggest plays of the game was your clutch shoestring tackle of L.A. running back Daryl Henderson, preventing him from scoring a surefire touchdown. It's funny because the, the ref the ref was like, hey, 33, you know, I, I could have got you there. You you were quick. So you was a little bit too quick, but he said at the same time, you wasn't. You wasn't. <laughs> so he didn't even know. So, you know, that was the, that was the beautiful thing. And, you know, it's really a compliment, you know, because just. Just, you know, something that, I, that I've that i always prided myself on, instincts, and, and prided myself on, you know, knowing what the opposing team is going to throw at me, knowing what what count they're going on, knowing when, when Jared Goff, if he gets under and then he comes back up, and then the second time he gets under, that's when the ball comes. You know what I mean? So it was little stuff like that. So, man, that was, a, that, was, that was a great play. But, the you know, I'm going to always give it to the man upstairs, man. All glory to God, bro. Describe your first ever post-game locker room division winning celebration. Oh man, it was great. You know, dancing and you know, hugging and you know, this is a this is a hell of accomplishment, man. You know what I mean? Like the you know, the NFC West is is it's the hardest division. It, I mean, golly, you gotta give us you gotta give us credit. You know what I mean? That's that's a that's a that's a hell of a ball club over there. You know, a lot of respect to those guys. 
You know, the defense is damn good. Um, I, 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 got, I got a lot of respect for him. I got a lot of respect for his division. You know, so you got to show up. It's the best of the best, man. That's that's just my, you know, maybe biased opinion, but that's just how, that's how I look at it. Seahawks defensive coordinator Ken Norton was under fire earlier this season as the defense struggled. The turnaround of the defense has been stunning. Turning a perceived weakness into a strength in a matter of weeks just doesn't happen on this level. Oh uh, yeah, they try to do yeah, you know, they try to do my dog dog wrong, man. You know, obviously he, you know, as the coach, defensive coach, they're gonna say what they wanna say. And it's not, it, it wasn't him. We just needed to jail. We needed to, everybody needs to get healthy. You know, everybody needed to figure out what that person's doing on this, on this defense, this blitz, or whatever the case may be. And now everybody knows what everybody's doing. We, we, we know our responsibilities, but not only our own, we know everybody else around us. That's what makes this place so fast. So that's the beautiful thing about it. So we just needed to jail and we're only getting better. Like I keep saying, man. So, you know, that, that's, that's how hungry this defense is. One game left on the verge of your first postseason. Jamal, what's your current frame of mind, fam? Yeah, I believe, I believe in us. You know what I mean? Because I know what type of guys, I know what type of character we have. I know what type of leadership we have. You know what I mean? I know what, coaching, what type of coaching staff we have. I believe in us. You damn right I'm going to say we got the best defense. That's simple. That's just confidence. That's swagger. And, and we're going to only get better. And I'm going to hold that standard. Bobby going to hold that standard. KJ going to hold that standard. Nino going to hold that standard. Shaq, Puna, DJ. Man, all my guys, man. Monet. The list goes on and on of all the guys that's, that's going to hold that standard. We want to hold that standard to a different a different level that other people can't see. As long as we see it, that's all that matters. And that's that's what we're reaching we're reaching, man. So you can you, hey, like that's why I told him. I said you can quote me on it, you can say what you want, but that's that's what I believe in, you know, as one of the leaders on the defense. How do you and the Seahawks separate yourselves from the competition to get to the next level? Well, you know, it is it's it's a good thing that, you know, we got a lot of great guys with on the defense. Uh, with, with great personality, you know what I mean? So we feed off one another. And, and, and it's the same way off the field. We joke with each other. On the field, we're about our business. And we communicate. So it's the small things like having those relationships in the building, outside the building. That's where you separate yourself as a, as a, as a unit because you understand that person on and off the field. So you you can communicate with that person. You know how that person is going to you know, move or you know how he's going to react off of this or if you do it this way, you know what I mean? So that's what makes the defense, you know, unit just so so strong. We're starting to put it together, together, man. And, uh, man, we, you know, watch out, man. We, we we on a mission, man. And everybody everybody's bought in. You know, that's the thing. You got to have everybody that's bought in. It's not about individual accolades on this defense. It's about balling, playing team defense. That's what we do. We don't, we don't care about who get this, who get that. Nah, everybody's happy for one another. We 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 celebrating in the paint. That's what we say. We celebrate in the paint, you know? So, man, it's good, man. God is good. Eric, before we get into next week's matchups, let's take a moment to let this sink in. Each of you guys are key members of division championship teams. I know just how difficult that is. We got three division championships on one podcast. You guys couldn't have picked a better, like... Lineup. Anything you'd like to say to your fellow co-host? Yeah, man. Uh, congrats. Congrats more to Jamal than Emmanuel. Emmanuel has what two Super Bowls? Pshuh. Excuse us, Emmanuel, but this is our first division title. And Jamal, you know we gonna enjoy this. I saw you like that cigar. Let them talk. They don't understand what it's like to go through hard work and 
I had to come out every year with nothing. So, yeah, we got something to brag about this year, and we're going to brag about it because ain't no telling when the next time we're going to do it as bad as we want to do it every year, and there's no telling when the next time you're going to do it. This Emmanuel's like fifth division title, two Super Bowls. Who cares about his accolades, you know? So, <laughs> shout out to us, us first-timers. <laughs> Next up for the Steelers is a game versus the Browns in Cleveland, with them needing a win to get into the playoffs. It's been announced that Big Ben will be sitting out, so Mason Rudolph is starting at QB. Any thoughts on last season's ugly incident between Mason and Miles Garrett? No, I mean, I'll elaborate a little bit. I wasn't here. I'm all for my dog Mason. I love Mason. Mason is Mason is a good quarterback and is going to continuously get better at QB. But I wasn't here. <laughs> That's all I that's all I know. I was not here. <laughs> Man, I thought I thought Miles Garrett was out of his mind. I mean, that helmet hits the right way, his skull cracks. You know what I'm saying? It's, it just is what it is. That's just how it is and whatever whatever gets you to that point. And I mean, you you leave old stuff for the past. I mean, it is the past, but from my point of view from that moment, it was it was crazy a crazy series of events and everybody should have acted out the way they had on the Pittsburgh Steelers when he did what he did. I don't think anybody was in the wrong except for the incident that happened. Um, no one was in the wrong for what happened after that incident. So um, I'm happy it's over. I'm happy both uh, parties or Miles Garrett apologized or however whatever so had happened. Um, at the end of the day it's football. Um, so at the end of the day, if, as long as he takes it out on a football field in a football wave shape, form or fashion, whatever, uh, that, that ain't got nothing to do with me. Meanwhile, the Seahawks next opponent is the 49ers in Glendale, Arizona. Jamal, you guys still have a shot of improving your playoff seating if you win and the right teams lose. Any word on you guys resting starters? Oh, that's not my call. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to play. I'm prepared to play. That ain't that ain't that ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm, my mind my mindset is ready for the four. Yeah, I'll be ready for the 49ers. You know what I mean? So, you know that's how I look at this. We got to finish. Every game counts to me, and every game every game counts to us. Nah, we 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 we're talking about finishing. We're talking about going four and zero in in on our last four in December. You playing your best ball in December. That's when that's when it really you find out who, who what team is who. Emmanuel, you and the Saints face the Panthers in Carolina. You guys also have a chance to earn higher seeding with a win if certain teams lose. You've been in the league for a few years now, played in three Super Bowls. Does it matter who you face in the playoffs? It really doesn't, especially with the uh, the whole coronavirus situation. You know, you got to think there's no fans in the stands. So the only true difference would be the climate, right? And when I say climate, I'm thinking more like Green Bay, right? Like, you saw the game the other day, it was freezing cold, snowing. Like, we haven't had a game like that. So that's their advantage, right? But, you know, you sit back and you say, well, we got to go and handle business no matter what. And, but I don't want to overlook any other teams. But I feel like if we get the number two seed, then we got two two home games. And so uh, climbing in, in, in this, you know, an issue. But we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But... Uh, you know, I'm just happy to be back in the playoffs. It's crazy because, like, I'm taking it for granted. Like, because I went to the Super Bowl last year, and then this year I'm back in the playoffs. But three years ago in Denver, I was, you know, week 16, I was already packing my stuff up. Like, all right, this is the last week, right? And then, like, I think I have three seasons of that. And so, you know, to be back in the playoffs, I saw Jamal Adams. I think he was, after he clinched the playoffs, he was just ecstatic about it, right? Like, he was 
he was saying I made the playoffs and you know in my head I was like damn like I ain't even realized like this is this dude's first time really playing in a playoff game and I you know I've been blessed with playing so many but you can't take it for granted right you always got to go back to that like this is a blessing like not everybody gets to do this and sometimes like like when you get used to something you think that everybody gets to do it and so you know I had to reflect back on that and be grateful for, grateful for that This week on The Huddle Up. It's Eric's turn to tell us his football origin story. To take us back to the beginning, to the first time he ever played football, to the folks who coached him and mentored him along the way, to the lucky breaks that became part of his journey. Yeah, so my my family is a big basketball-like family. Uncles, dad, brother, everybody played basketball. I lived in New Jersey. From New Jersey, we lived in Rhode Island for like five years because my, my mom's father had gotten sick and my mom wanted to take care of him. We moved in with my uncle and my cousin would play football. And I think my first playing football was like, when I was younger, you know that Pop Warner League when you jump in and I think I played for the West End Intruders. Uh, West End Intruders, for the West End Intruders, I went to the East Providence Mohawks. And then from the East Providence Mohawks, my mom moved us to North Providence where I played for the North Providence Jets. All within like this five, six year time span right before we moved to North Carolina. So I played up until seventh, seventh grade, I think, and I quit. I don't know why I quit. It just was pointless to me. Football wasn't, you know, whatever. You don't make it out of Rhode Island playing football. You know, I'm not gonna play football in Rhode Island. So I quit. Um, then my grandfather ended up passing away. And my mom was like, you know, well, we finna get out of Rhode Island. So she moves us to North Carolina. And she's like, well, what are you gonna do with your life? I'm like, what you mean? What am I gonna do with my life? I'm gonna be doing the same thing I've been doing. Go to school, figure out something, work my way up. So she asked me to play football, didn't want to. The next year, oh, the school was terrible, by the way. The school that they, she wanted me to play for, they were 0-16 for like the last four years. So I'm like, what? I'm like, you want me to come in here and play Justice League? Like, I'm not, I'm not no superhero. I can't save these people. So she's like, well, I think you're really good at football, so you need to try out. So it comes on this next year. I try out. We get a whole new football coach. He brings in this whole new, like, this whole new field, this whole new, like, energy to the football program. He brings in this, like, all-world staff or whatever, and it just works out. Have you always been a tight end? I go to play quarterback. I was nice. Let me tell it. I was nasty. Best quarterback you ever seen. Better than Cam Newton. <laughs> I'm the best thing since sliced bread. So <laughs> I'm trying out for quarterback and I'm making great throws, making great reads, but I can't throw the ball five yards to save my life. <laughs> I'm like missing all the little dinks and dunks. So coach is just like, you know, trying to move pieces around, trying to see what he got. So he asked me to go play receiver. I'm like, play receiver? Okay. I, you know, I played it kind of, but when I was playing Pop Warner football, I was more like D-line. Like, I was big. So, you know, you don't really learn how to play receiver or skill positions, stuff like that. So then I, I play receiver, and my first catch is one-handed over two people. First catch ever. 
And my coach sprints maybe 30, 40 yards down the field. It's like, I got my receiver. I got my receiver. I got my number one receiver. He's screaming. So I'm dominating that receiver the rest of the way. The, the whole jamboree, no gloves, nothing. I'm broke, bro. I'm poor. Like, but like, gl- no gloves, nothing, dog. I had no swag. Like the oldest pair of cleats, bro, trash. Dogging people. So now that your pass catching skills have been discovered, your role to high school football glory must have been fairly typical, right? Come to find out I'm ineligible to play that year. So my coach is like, what the, like how? It's not like a grades thing. It's not like I'm failing, but when I came from up north, down south, I needed a credit transfer or some crazy rule book change that the county had that we had no idea about. Apparently had no idea about. So I've had to miss sophomore year. So I didn't start playing football until my junior year of high school. Between that, when I found out I was ineligible, I could still go to like camps and stuff. So I was attending like one day camps and things like that because I wasn't ineligible grade wise. We just couldn't figure out why I was ineligible. So they was just like, all right, let's just see what, what I'm really about. Like if I'm really that good. So I ended up going to Carolina to this one day camp. Meeting Butch Davis, meeting all these coaches, Alan Mogridge, who's the uh, tight end coach at the time. They're like, who's this big summer, you know, out here just warming up, whatever, because I'm obviously extra long and extra tall to be in high school or that age or however young I was, because I was still a young junior. So they put us through all these drills or whatever, and I'm dominating. No gloves, no swag. All these dudes out there looking sweet. All these wristbands and shit. I don't have nothing, dog. I'm out there barefaced. No nothing. So they're like, dang, it starts raining. Everybody starts taking their gloves. I don't got gloves anyway. So I'm already catching the ball with no gloves. So they're like, who is this? So they take me and like two other athletes to the side. Everybody else go inside to eat. They work us out individually for a little bit. I leave with a scholarship. I had a scholarship on the spot, never played high school football, nothing. Had a scholarship to Carolina. It was dope, yep. I didn't even know what a scholarship was. That's how I got my scholarship, my first scholarship. (laughs) Crazy. You didn't understand what a scholarship meant? I didn't even know what a scholarship was. Here I am, a broke, broke kid, trying to figure this shit out. I'm I'm trying to figure out why I didn't go eat lunch with the rest of the kids. That's what I'm wondering, like, I'm hungry, bro. I don't eat. Like, I'm trying to figure out how I go to the lunch table with the, with the rest of the gang. They offered me a scholarship. I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. Like, me, this is me and Bush Davis' conversation. I'm like, I'm sorry, bro, but I don't even really know what that is. I'm dead up. Just tell him straight to his face. So he called my coach over. My coach started laughing. And he was like, he said that? I was like, yeah. I was like, what is that? He was like, boy, you get to go to school for free. I was like, damn, I still got to go to school? <laughs> I swear, this is me Conversating with them, I'm like, man, I don't want to go. I'm like, man, I don't want to go to school. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done with school. Like, I'm over school. And he like, boy, shut up. So, boom, I get a scholarship. All these ESPN recruits and every apparently it was like a day. So, ESPN's out there. All these people out there, and then my name just blew up. From that point on, blew up. So, what happens next? 
The rest is history. So we get to Carolina. Like I tell you, I hate school, bro. And it's not that I I don't, like I'm not smart. Like I could solve any problem, do whatever, do what. I just hate the tedious work. I feel like it's super tedious. And what you're teaching me is never going to help me in life. So that's kind of how I thought about school. <laughs> so we get there and I like orientation, like football orientation. Here we go, big dogs, whatever. That's not my vibe. I'm, I'm always me, so I'm... I'm just making people laugh. I'm just the jokester. Like, that's just who I am. Like, I got pranks. I got jokes. I got whatever for you. Whatever moment. I'm spurred a moment, whatever. So we're just in there. We're laughing. But I know everybody because I was a high recruit coming out of high school. And I've met all these people through, like, trips. Most of us committed to Carolina together. So she's in there. She's asking us questions. And she's like, you know... How many of you guys, you know, want to receive a four-year degree from the university and then go on to live out your dreams as NFL players? And everybody raised their hand and like, yeah, that's what we want to do. And I'm like, man, fuck. I'm like, man, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm the only one that don't raise my hand. She's like, she's like, what's your plan? I'm like, I'm leaving here in three years. I'm going to the pros. I will not be here that long. She starts busting out laughing. I'm looking at her like, bro, I'm dead ass serious. Like, I'm not staying here, bro. I didn't come here to do school. Like, I came here to play football. Like, that is what got me here. Like, I had a whole, like, mentality. Like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And ain't no one going to stop me. So she laughed. So I laughed back at her like, all right, when I'm out of here in three years, I don't want to hear you say nothing to me. Nothing. Like, don't say nothing to me. Three years later, I'm out there, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, peace. I told you. First round, I'm out of here. I came to do football. That school wasn't for me. I'm gone. She was like, I just want to let you know the way you handled yourself and conducted yourself. You were so great. Like, you're a superstar. I'm like, man, hell no. Nah. I don't want to hear that. I'm out. I appreciate y'all. Goodbye. <laughs> that was my story, bro. That's it. Not seven years later, I'm still banging in the league, baby. <laughs> Seventeen-year-old Nate Burleson walks on the campus of University of Nevada, a school that said they're going to throw the ball to him a ton. Now I was excited because we were a running team in high school. My freshman year, I think I'm going to get on the field. Probably wasn't good enough to play. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't as fast as I could be. But it's Nevada Reno, right? Get everybody on the field if you can. Who cares about your redshirt year? A couple of weeks into the season, NCAA sends me a letter and says you didn't qualify. I'm like, what? And they said you're missing one credit of gym class and I'm like okay I'm like yeah but I played three sports all four years I think I kind of qualify for gym class long story short I sit out my freshman year because the NCAA said Nate Burleson can't play like I cheated my way into college my sophomore year I played decently get my feet wet 50 something catches next year 60 something catches my junior year my true junior year third year on the field I get in my bag and I remember telling myself all right, bro, you're about to be super focused this year. I was raised in a Christian home. I was like, I'm going to dive into the scripture. I'm going to just be as pure as I can. I kept thinking purity, purity, purity. Because I, I wanted to see if I was as pure as I could be, what type of student would I be? What type of athlete would I be? So that was me going into the season. 
physically focused, mentally focused, spiritually sound. From the moment I lined up that first game, I was unstoppable. By the end of the season, I remember going to study hall and my boy was like, yo, Nate, have you checked the standings of wide receivers in college football? And I'm like, nah. He pulls it up and I had 138 catches leading the nation. And I was four away from breaking the all-time record. I really didn't have moments where I thought personally, I'm the man and I'm gonna be in the league. And But my friends, they saw it in me way before I did. My roommate, shout out to Marquis Starks. <laughs> I remember we were at the house and this is just typical college. And he would always tell me like, yo, Nate, you know I talk to God, right? He's a spiritual dude. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, so I was talking to God the other day, right? And he told me that you're gonna get drafted. You're gonna make millions. I'm like, word. He's like, for real, Kaz? Like straight up, Kaz? That was the moment where I was like, damn, my inner circle sees something different in me. And then from there, week after week, game after game, there were new agents, people showing up at my house, at my mom's house, at games, on the road. And that's when I decided to pull my little LeBron. I went up to the school in a Joe Montana jersey and had a baby press conference. And I was like, I'm taking my talents to the NFL. No, I didn't say that, but basically I was like, I'm gonna declare for the draft. It was a wrap. My path to the NFL was traditional, but non-traditional. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. So for me, even now at 39 years old, I could reference that moment in time and like, yo, Nate, get pure. If you get pure, life will be easier. Before we close this week's episode and say so long to 2020, it's time for Quick Outs. This week, the Washington football team released 23-year-old second-year quarterback Dwayne Haskins. The decision came after he was benched during the team's loss to Carolina. And a week after, he broke COVID protocols by attending a party without wearing a mask after the loss to Seattle. The guys wanted to weigh in. So are the expectations put on high draft picks, especially quarterbacks, unrealistic? Jamal. Yeah, it's tough, man. You know, it's, it's it's tough to come in and, you know, especially at the quarterback position, and just come on, come in and take off, bro. That's a, well, that's tough. Now, you know, there's some special guys that do it early on. Some special guys do it late in their career or middle of the career. Like everybody got a different path, so you don't know. Like, bro, can have that on that mindset of, okay, that just happened to him. Then he come back two years later and get the starting job or a year later or whatever case on the right team, right system for him, whatever. And he explodes. Like, come on. I support, bro. Emmanuel, what's your take on Dwayne Haskins being let go? The NFL is one of those things, especially at the quarterback position, that like you got to carry yourself a certain way as, as, as a quarterback of, of an NFL team because they're always looking for a franchise player at that position. And so, um, you know, I just hope that he learns from it and, and grows from it and um, you know, hopefully get another opportunity because, you know, uh, you know, be, me being in this league a long time, those opportunities, once once, once the league uh, uh, puts, you know, a characteristic trait on you, more than likely, like, that's going to stick with you throughout the league and uh, teams aren't going to want to deal with it, especially when you haven't made any plays in the league. And so that's going to be an interesting story to, to, to see, like, how it unfolds. Dwayne Haskins' situation took Emmanuel back a decade to the days when he was a rookie with the Pittsburgh Steelers and how he and another rookie receiver named Antonio Brown used to challenge each other on the practice field. Me and Antonio Brown had this rule. like We said that we were going to be the last one off the field. 
like after every single practice. And man, did I tell you, AB wore me out some days. I'd be dog tired after, like after practicing. I'd be catching balls and I'd be looking down and he'll be catching balls and we both be staring at each other like, you leave first because I'm not leaving until you leave. And then sometimes we'll just finally be like, all right, hey, I, well, I'll walk up to him and just start talking to him and we'll walk off the field together, right? Because it's like, dude, like we stand after 30 minutes, like just getting extra work and just trying to be the best that we can be. And, um, you know, and so, you know, I, I started getting better and better. And the next thing you know, like Mike Tomlin, Tomlin started moving me up in the role, third receiver and you know, when I was coming out, there was no such thing as a 5'10 or 5'11 number one wide receiver. Like, they used to always think of us as slot receivers. Now in the league, you got them everywhere, right? You got them everywhere. And so, uh, you know, I feel like me and me and A.B. kind of was able to start that trend, even though Santonio Holmes was doing it at the time as well and Hines. But, yeah, it, it felt good to move up the rinks like that, especially when I came in, just happy to, you know, return kicks and run down on kickoff and make tackles. As the 10th overall pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, Eric can relate to the pressures that come along with being a high draft pick. Oh, man, it's heck of, it's what? I got drafted 10th overall to Detroit to be the fourth option. Yeah, it's pressure. Like, you had Megatron, you had Golden Tate, you had Reggie Bush, you had Brandon Pettigrew, then you had me. Like, man, it, it's tough. It's tough. Um, It was tough for me, but... For him, man, you 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 would just hope you flourish in those in those situations, and it take events, it takes situations like this, it take getting cut, it take a hard time to build a build a a, a perfect or oh, not a perfect person, but oh, for a better time or a better moment. So yeah, man, tough time to build people up or break you or completely demolishes you. So hopefully he gets built up from it. Majorly switching gears, we couldn't leave 2020 without getting Eric's take on the video game Cyberpunk 2077. I promise you, I had that video game popping before 77. I'm, I'm telling you, like, I wanted that game to be so good. Like, I think everybody did because they pushed it back like three times. So we were all waiting for it. And then they release it when the PS5 comes out, which I think threw them off. But if they had somebody like me in there, I would have been like, hold on now. Let's release it. PS5 style. Let's alternate. Let's adjust. Let's let's cope with what we're about to, you know, embark on. PS5 is new gen. Let's new gen it. Let's next gen it. Let's get it. Let's get the the, the, the new graphics popping. It, it it let me down, man. It let a lot of people down. They said they were playing Minecraft. That's harsh. That's harsh. When I saw that on Twitter, I was like, that's harsh. Seeing that this is the last podcast of 2020, we thought we'd ask the guys to share their New Year's resolutions. Emmanuel, what's yours? Uh, my New Year's resolution is to uh, just keep growing mentally, spiritually, and uh, um, really just keep taking care of my body and trying to live a long time, uh, be the best father and husband I could possibly be. And You know, I would say spend more time with my kids, but I already do that, but... Uh, I think it's just just growth and just keep guiding and, and guiding my family in the right direction. Um, and you know, if you don't have kids, and you know, it's hard probably to understand. But kids are—it's a task. Every day you teaching them something. Every day is is a new day to learn something new and 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 to, and to get them to grow and understand. And so, 
it's a it's a full time job, you know. So that's that's all, that's all. I feel like that's always gonna be my New Year's resolution is just to you know stay focused and locked in on on on, on my priorities and what really matters. Eric, have you made a New Year's resolution yet? You know what? I was just thinking about that, uh, and I don't I don't know what my New Year's resolution is gonna be. So my this uh, I'm gonna take my plan since no one's gonna hit us until then. My plan is I'm gonna get me and my wife some wine. We're gonna put the kids to sleep. And we're going to talk about what we're going to be better at coming into the new year. Because 2020 was so hard. We've been distant. You know, my wife's been in Houston. I've been here. So we're going to talk about how we're going to treat 2021. Because I feel like we owe ourselves some trips. We owe ourselves, you know, my wife's been balling. She's really been doing her thing, trying to get a real estate license and handling the home. We just built our home back in Houston. So she's been modifying that, unpacking that for months. So... We owe ourselves some due diligence in this in this 2021. So talk about how we're going to be great parents and stuff and go from there. Jamal, any words of wisdom to our listeners who are about to say goodbye to 2020? Man, bro, 2020, I know it was a terrible year, but God damn. If you if if you survived it, just understand that it's going to make you better at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like we might not look at it right now, but 2020 is going to always be remembered for me. The year, you know, my life changed, be honest with you, you know, in, in every way, shape or form, you know, for the better. And, uh, you know, you just got to you got to find that niche, your purpose or, or, or your why, why you do life or why you do what you do, because that that's that's got to be the focus. And whatever that focus is and whatever that reason is, you got to you got to make sacrifices to be great at it. You know what I mean? For those people or for whoever, whatever your why is. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, go get it. You got to be motivated. You can't let one week, two weeks, a month, and then relax two weeks or a week. You got to stay on it because it's about being disciplined. When you're disciplined with your outside life, majority of the time, the, the, the thing you love most is going to be very disciplined as well. So you got to be disciplined on your routines, on what you do, how you go about business on and off the field. And that's what I would say. So just keep pushing, man. 2021, set goals. And don't let anybody, you know, tell you they too big because it don't even matter what they say. Just keep going. And at all times, man, keep it player. That's it for this episode of 17 Weeks. Happy New Year, everybody. This show is brought to you by Uninterrupted, Sirius XM, and Pandora. You can listen to it on demand on SiriusXM and for free on the Pandora app. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Wherever you listen to it, though, be sure to subscribe so you can get notified when a new episode drops every Thursday. And if you like what you heard, which I know you do, you can't tell me otherwise. Spread the show, spread the love, and share the show. Share the love. I mean, you want people to go into 2020 listening to the best podcast in the business. That's this, 17 Weeks. You feel me? I'm your host, Nate B. Shout out to my co-hosts, Jamal Adams, Emmanuel Sanders, and Eric Ebron. The show is executive produced by John Fontanelli. Our producer is Josh Rodriguez. Our associate producer is Logan Castrodale. Editing and sound design by Chris Weatherspoon. The show is also produced by Chris Tyler and Andrew Emmer. Brandon Gitches, senior director, podcast production at SiriusXM. Andy King, director, sports programming at SiriusXM. It's written by John McLaughlin. Archival sound courtesy of NFL Network. All right. Till next week, we out. <laughs>